chapter 6, beginning in verse 24, here is the word. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Oprah, which belongs to Advisorites. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Amen. God, we come before you. We recognize nothing we do. Is through our own strength, through our own power. When we surrender, when we trust in your words, when we believe in your promises, God, you live through us. Your power is for us. Your strength is for us to use, to do your will, to accomplish your plan. So God, as we continue to study and look into the story of Gideon, how you call them, how you empower them, how you utilize them. Will you speak to us? Humble our, ourselves, our pre-notions and thoughts, and will you help us to be open and honest through the word that you have prepared for us? Bless your people. Utilize your servant to deliver your message. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, the story of Gideon is a fascinating story. Uh, you know of this, maybe, of this particular judge with um, this, you know, fascinating war story of 300 up against 100,000. Uh, you may know Gideon about the dry wool or fleece, you might call it. But what's more even more fascinating if you realize the story that lead up to this huge mission. What we know of Gideon, it started from last Sunday, and then it's a process. Now, what's an altar? What, what is an altar? Now, in the Bible, altar is a place to offer sacrifice. In other words, in the Bible, an altar is where people come to worship the Lord. Now, New Testament, we still have altars, and they uh, there is an importance of an altar in New Testament people. But these altars were built. The altars that you see in the New Testament were built during the Old Testament days. These altars were built 
by some of the notable people. Abraham, Noah, Jacob, Isaac, Moses. And these altars were constructed during the very uh, significant time of their lives. And these were built to commemorate. These altars were constructed by these individuals to commemorate uh, the living God that they have experienced, they have encountered. So the, think about the story of Jacob, story of Isaac, story of Moses. They constructed these altars because they were in awe of God. They have experienced the living God, and they construct these altars in order to what? In awe, in amazement, they worship. In order to worship this God that revealed himself to them, they build these altars. So again, what is an altar? It's, an, it's a place that they come to commemorate, to dedicate, to remember. They constructed to remind themselves, wow, this is God. Not someone else's God, but my God who came to show himself. That he is not just my father's God, but my God. They personally experienced and encounter the living God and they built an altar. So altar is a place to come to worship. Worship this God. That's an altar. Now, we just read this text, 24 through 32. When you read it, there's altars there. Because it's not a single altar, but there are multiple. Notably, there are two altars. So what that means, if you see multiple altars, two altars, that also tells us that there were different places of worship. There were different worships were going on. Two different worships are going on in the people's lives. Why were there two altars? In Israel, why were there two different worships? Because each worship had different objects of worship, right? Why are there, were there two altars Two different worships. Simple. We have seen it, right? Within the cycle. Why? Because the Israelites had chosen to serve more than one God. They had chosen to worship more than one God. Other than the God of their forefather. The God who delivered them out of it. That is why we see two altars. Now, as we have seen in the previous passage, God, although there are multiple altars, although these people hoard their, uh, themselves after idols of the land, in his grace and mercy, God called Gideon. God chose Gideon to be the next judge in order to save his own people from the hand of the Midianites. So God appeared. Hey. I am calling you. I am commissioning you to go on behalf of your people to lead them to defeat and destroy the enemy. And I will save you through you. I will be with you. What was Gideon's response? At, at God's proclamation, declaration of what, who you are, Gideon, and what I will do with you, what was Gideon's response? Well, you got the wrong guy. I am not that guy. You made a mistake. As he was hearing the angel, the messenger delivering God's declaration, his own promise, he felt that God made a mistake. Gideon felt that he was not qualified to be the one that God has in mind. In his own self-assessment, I'm not a man of valor. I'm not a man of courage. You call me to be a judge? And he knows 
all too well what kind of judges were ahead of him. He was just a simple farmer who happens to be very scared to prolong his life as he was hiding under a wine press to make a living. That was Gideon's assessment of his. But what did God see? From God, in his perspective, Gideon was more, more than Gideon's own assessment. For God, he was indeed a mighty warrior, a man of valor. And God called him to save people of Israel. Not because of his Gideon's own strength and power, but because of the presence of the Lord. He did not want Gideon to go and save his people, not through his own power, but through God's strength that he will provide. The, the very presence of God in every step of Gideon's way. Yet, you know what? Gideon was still skeptical. Gideon could not believe what he was hearing from God. This did not make sense. You see, God's words, as we have seen in the previous passage, God's words, God's promises were not enough. It was not good enough for Gideon to convince. He could not convince himself. So, even when God said in verse 16, look at chapter 6, verse 16. This is what God said to Gideon, right? Last Sunday. I will be with you. This is God declaring. This is God making a promise. I will be with you and you shall strike down, strike down the Midianites. I myself, the God of universe, the creator, your God, who, who rescued your forefathers out of Egypt and how I gave you this land, this God, I declare, I promise that I will be with you and you shall go and you shall strike down the Midianites. Yet still, Gideon could not believe God. So, what did Gideon do? Look at verse 17. I want to just, before we get to our text this morning, I want us to understand the context here. He asked for a sign in verse 17. Look at verse 17. Gideon said to the angel, show me a sign. God said, I am God. I will be with you and you shall indeed strike down the Midianites. But Lord, show me a sign. That is, it is that it is you who speak with me. Show me a sign that it is really you. It is really you that you are making this promise that you are going to go with me. So Gideon asked the angel of God to wait for him. He does not specify what kind of sign, what kind of proof that God has to demonstrate in order for Gideon to believe. But he asked for an angel to wait for him, and he went in and prepared a meal. The meat and the bread was brought out. And when the angel of God touched the meat and the bread with the tip of the staff, what happened? The sign was demonstrated. A flash of lightning, it says, a flash of fire, which instantly consumed what he prepared, the meat, the bread, gone. And then as soon as that happened, the messenger, the angel, was also disappeared. Now, when that happened, in verse 22, Gideon finally says this, Alas, O Lord. Not when the 
the Lord suddenly appear in the wine press. Oh, mighty warrior, a man of valor, I am with you. I'll be present with you. I will raise you up as a judge. I will rescue your people and you will strike down your enemy. He didn't say this. Show me a sign. And God, in his grace, give him that sign. Then he says, Alas, O Lord God, O my Lord. For now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, in that moment, Gideon realized that he just, he didn't just see the angel, but he realized that he had encountered the God himself, the Lord himself. And when that realization sets in, the fear came upon him because he understands that he was in the presence of the holy God. What happens? Sinful men in the holy presence of God, the holy high priest, when they walk into the holy of holy, if there is sin in him, what happens? There's a rope around him. There's, you know, bells around his garments. Why? Because instantly he will die in the holiness of God. And Gideon realized I was face to face with God himself, the Lord himself. The fear came upon him. Verse 23, as he was afraid, as he was fearful once again for his own life, just like he was fearful of his life as he was threshing wheat in the wine press. Verse 23, for his doubtful, for his fearful, servant, the Lord spoke to him, not this time with the angel, but the Lord spoke to Gideon, peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Don't be afraid. I know what you're thinking. He did not say out, out loud. He realized that I was face to face with holy God. I don't know whether that was audible voice or the voice in his head, but God clearly spoke to Gideon. Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. I mean, think about this. Gideon was as faithless as he could get. But what's going on? He asked for a sign, and he gets a sign more than what he bargained for. This was a sign. This was a proof. It was far greater than what he was hoping for. Needless to say, Gideon was amazed. God himself revealed to Gideon, showed himself, and he even survived after seeing God's face. He knew he should have died, but he didn't by God's grace. He even heard the voice of God. So imagine what he was going through, through this experience. Through this encounter, what he was feeling inside, he was blown away, blown away. God was meeting him where he was. He did not have faith. He could not trust God's word. I am not this. Do not call me. I can't do this. Show me a sign. I don't even think it is you who are speaking to me. But God meets him there. Gideon. It's not a mighty warrior that who will slay the enemy with 300 men. Before he get there, this was he. This was Gideon. And what God was doing to raise him up, to utilize him that way. Now, think about this. What did Gideon do next? Just like the altar of Abraham, Noah, Jacob, Isaac, Moses. What, what did Gideon do? He was floored. He was amazed. He encountered the living God. What did he do? He built an altar. He wanted to commemorate. This was the experience of the living God. And with that altar, he worshipped the Lord. And he called that altar, that place, the Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. Now for Gideon, unlike earlier, 
God was no longer this angry, wrathful, distant being who can be any more indifferent and distant from his own people and neglect and forsake their pain and suffering. He realized now that God means for peace, God means for blessing. He realized, he knows the Lord is in fact still with his people. He finally realized God desires peace and blessing for his own people. And this new, his own personal encounter of God led Gideon to be on his knee, constructing this altar in order for him to memorialize this God in his heart and worship him. Now, here comes, with that context in mind, here comes the text. Look at verse 25. That very night, here comes the mission before the mission. It says in verse 25, that very night, the Lord said to Gideon, with that experience, with that encounter, here comes. Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, destroy, tear down, the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Esherah that is beside it. And then in verse 26, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as burnt offering with the wood of the Esherah that you shall cut down. So that very night, after that encounter, show me a sign, and God showed that sign. He built an altar, memorialized deep into his heart, and broke out in worship, right? That night, God appeared to Gideon and spoke to him once again. And he gives him a mission before the mission. The mission, the mission is saving Israel. But before that mission, here is a mission, specific mission that is given to Gideon. What's the mission? Gideon, go to your father's house and tear down the altar of Baal. Cut down the Asherah that is standing next to it. Use that very wood of Asherah and offer me a burnt offering on the altar that you will construct once again for me. Now, why? Why such demand? Why such action? Call them proof of sign, and he worshipped him. But God comes back and say, tear down that and offer me an offering on the new altar specifically constructed, dedicated to me. Why would God command such, such an instruction? What is the purpose of this very mission? Church, God has given this commission, this mission to Gideon because two altars cannot coexist side by side. Two altars, one for the living God, the Lord, the God of Israel, and the altar for Baal and Esher cannot stand side by side. You cannot have an altar for the Lord and also have an altar to Baal. Gideon earlier built an altar after encountering the one true living God. And after constructing that altar, he now has to tear down the one that was used to serve a false god. He must not just build an altar to God, but he also has to dedicate exclusively to the Lord. So before that mission, the mission of rescuing the people of Israel, before that mission, here comes the mission for Gideon to clear, to clean his own heart, clean his own house. Gideon's father, Joash, 
had an altar to Baal and also had Asherah, which is a wooden pole to worship gods of Canaan. Now, as we have seen in the previous text last Sunday with some of uh, 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 Gideon's complaints against God, Joash clearly taught his children, especially Gideon, about what happened to their forefathers. Gideon clearly knows about the story of Exodus, clearly knows how God rescued and saved and provided for their forefathers. Gideon understand it came from Joash the father. But this Joash who taught the children, his own children, the ways of God, who he is, what he has done, he also chose to build an altar to pagan gods. He also constructed pagan altar which means he worshiped not only to God of Israel, but also God of Pagan, God of Canaan. But, but that's not just Joash. This was going on all throughout Israel. And this is the reason why when you see the book of Judges, the cycle, this, this painful, tragic cycle is going on because they, they worship God. They didn't abandon worshiping God, but along with worshiping God, they also worshiped some other things, some other beings. They worshiped both God of Israel and the God of the land. I want you to think about that fact. And more and more you think about it, it's ironic. As I said, this occupation, this oppression by the Midianites is arguably, historically, the worst they ever experienced. And they were crying out to God. And even as these people in their pain and suffering crying out to God for His mercy, His deliverance, right? Guess what was still going on? As they were crying out to God, we can take this no longer, save us. What was still going on? The altar was still standing. They were still worshiping Baals. Gideon has audacity to question God. Where were you? Why aren't you with your people? Why are you neglecting? Why are you forgetting your promise to us? And his own house has an altar and Asherah. There was an idol to Baal in his own backyard. There were idols in the life of Israel. Church, two altars cannot exist side by side. Altar to God and an altar to idol cannot stand by side. You cannot combine the worship of God and worship of Baal. You cannot worship, serve, love God and love idols. That's a clear message. Was that phrase familiar to you? You cannot worship God and Baal. Is it? Is it kind of the? It, the ring to it, the tone. You cannot worship God and Baal. Sounds familiar. Where did you hear it? Jesus said it in the New Testament. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot love and serve Two gods. You cannot serve and love two masters. There was a young man who fell at the feet of Jesus, wondering how he could be saved, wondering how he could obtain eternal life. This young man said, I've been keeping, I have been keeping up with the commandments of God since I was a boy. How do I be saved? How do I receive this eternal life? 
What did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, well, you know, I'm supposed to tell you the truth. You're supposed to go and sell your wealth and give it to the poor because you cannot have anything more important than the Lord your God. You cannot love and serve anything more than the Lord your God. So I am supposed to tell you the truth and go sell it to the and give it to the poor and then you follow me. But I understand how hard it is. I understand how difficult it is. So until you learn, until you are compelled to do this, for time being, why don't you just follow me? Come along with me. Did Jesus say that? Is that how Jesus approached the rich young man? Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. One of the saddest stories that I, I think that exists in the New Testament. Because at that, as soon as he heard Jesus' response, it says young men's fa face fell. He went away broken, saddened, for he had great wealth. He went away. And you never hear about this young man ever again in the Bible. Church, you cannot have two altars. You cannot have two objects of worship. You cannot have you cannot have two masters. You can't have two gods. Not for Gideon. Not for Israel. Not for this rich young man. Not for you. Not for me. You can't have two. If God was to be their Lord, if God was to be their Savior, the Savior of Israel delivering these people in their oppression, then what has to happen? Baal had to go. If God is to be your Lord, if God is to be your Savior, then your idols, gods that you have, gods that you love, gods that you serve, these must go. You need to tear down your altars to other gods in your life for God to save you, for God to bless you, for God to use you, for you to worship God, serve God, and love God. These, first and foremost, these things must be teared down. These altars got to go. Your gods. Your gods, your idols, your love for money. Your obsession for the material things of this world. Your desire for fame, your desire for power, your desire for security, pleasure, and comfort, and so on and so forth. These things that you love and you dedicate your life for. That things, the very things that are more critical, more important, and comes between you and God, and it takes higher priority than God himself. They must be go, they must be gone, must be destroyed. Why? For just simple fact, you cannot have two masters. You cannot have two gods. So before the mission, before the very mission why God appeared to Gideon and called them to be the judge, before that takes place, this happened. This needed to happen in Gideon's life. This is the very first thing, the very process that he had to go through in order to become the man that he will be. 
Church, do you love your Lord? Do you tell him in your prayers, in your praises, do you tell him that you love him? Do you truly desire to worship this God, commemorate him, memorialize this God in your life? Do you go back to the moment that you first met Jesus for the first time, that you were so unworthy, so sinful, yet God in Jesus died for your sins, so you break out in worship with joy, with celebration, with gratitude. Then my dear friends, how many altars do you have in your heart? How many altars do you think you have? Do you find more than one and only altar to your Lord Jesus? Because if you find more than one, you must tear it down. That's what Gideon did. Verse 27. After encountering the living God, after God came down to his scoop, stooped down to his spiritual level and met him. This is what Gideon did. He obeyed. 27, he tore down the altar of Baal. He took his servants and he did exactly what the Lord instructed him to do so. Now, some of you, if you read through that, that end of that verse 27, what does it say? You might point out the fact that Gideon went to do this by night. He didn't do it at, during the daytime. Obviously, why? Because he was afraid of his father, afraid of his family. He was afraid of men of the town uh, will surely stop him and destroy him. You will point that out to me. And that will stand out. And that's precisely, for that reason, it's described in there. Because I have no problem. I don't think God had any problem for him to do this by night. Because can you blame him for being afraid, being fearful of the people, very people who will oppose him and even take his life from him? Because I don't blame him. I don't think Bible blames him for it. God does it. Because at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. Whether he did it during the day or by night, it does not matter. Because God did not tell him to do this at specific time of the day. God did not tell him to be heroic. But he desired Gideon to be obedient. Even in fear. He obeyed. It's scary, brothers and sisters. I'm going to tell you, it, it's scary thing for you to tear down idols in your heart. It's scary. It's scary for you to identify and start tearing down the very things that you work so hard for. It's so scary that you have to destroy and let go the things that you served and you loved, the things that you heavily depended upon. Now you have to let it go, not just let it go. You have to ruin it with your own hands. You have to destroy it. It is a scary, scary proposition to tear it down. Because you believe that you need these items, these things in your life, in your heart. You need them and you trust that more than God's promise. More than the Lord who died and saved you. Because you believe these are the things that you cannot live without.
It is scary. And you should be afraid. If you are really going to have one and only altars for the living God, for your Lord Jesus, anything competes, anything stands and resembles like an altar or place of worship, and you need to destroy that, it should scare the heck out of you. It's okay to be afraid. It is quite natural for us to be afraid. And because the Lord is peace. Because he means peace for us. In our fear, this peace that transcends all things, our worries and concerns, our fear, this peace of Christ, peace of God will empower us not to be controlled by these fear, but overcome and go and tear it down. This peace will help you overcome this fear of being dismissed, disliked, fear of being misunderstood, fear of being hated and persecuted. Folks, it's okay to be afraid. If you're really going to do this very thing, it is quite natural for us to be afraid. But in your fear, embrace the peace of God. And let the peace of God empower you. Let it lead you and help you to tear down these very altars that exist in your hearts. If the one true living God is going to be the Lord of your life, then all other gods must go. Because they have no place in your worship, in your service, in your devotion to your God. Folks, I'm going to tell you, God is patient. And thank God for that. God is patient. And you have seen that in the story of Judges. God is extremely patient. But God is not tolerant. Do not make that mistake. God is patient, but he is not tolerant. He is not tolerant of partial, half-hearted devotion to him. He's patient. Israel's problem is not just their problem. What they're going through, that tragic cycle, is not just their cycle. It is ours as well. They call themselves God's own people. They call God their own God. Are we the same? Don't we do the same? God, you are our God. God, you are our Father. I am your child. I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't we say the same thing? God, you are mine and I am yours forever. But the truth is, just like the Israelites, there are a lot of lukewarm, mediocre, part-time, obey-when-it's-convenient type of people of God out there. Would think they are faithful. Would think they've been serving, yet they're just tiptoeing the line and have an altar for God as well as altar for millions of things of this world that takes away your focus and devotion away from God. God is patient, folks, but he is not tolerant. Do not make that mistake. If God is going to be your Lord, the Lord of your life, the Lord of every area of your life, as a man and woman, as a husband, as a father, as a mother and wife, as a, as a faithful gospel, caring, disciple, follower of Jesus Christ. If God is going to be the Lord of every aspect, every calling, every responsibility you have, 
and all other gods that exist, all other idols that exist in your heart, in your life, that is sitting in your backyard, in your own home right now, must go. And don't wonder and cry out to God and say, where are you? Do you not hear me? Do you not care what's going on in my life? Before Gideon becomes Gideon, before the real mission comes, this is what God does. He meets it. He meets him at his own level and tells him, hey, clean your house. Let's clean your heart. You're too old. Why don't we take this time to pray? Take a moment to pray, reflect on the sermon. Pray that the Spirit will reveal the very thing that you desire to find out. Will you ask? Will you go back to that moment where you encounter God's love, His loving grace on you, that you realize for the first time what He has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, that you commemorized, you memorialize this living, gracious God with this amazing grace by constructing your spiritual altar and you gave your life and you worshiped this God before that altar. Where is he now? Is that the only altar? that you have constructed in your heart? Or do you find any other altars in your heart, in your life? How many are there? We didn't say it, but have you been asking God to coexist with other gods, other idols? Ask. What do you serve? Who do you love? Who do you worship? Is he the only one that you love, that you serve, that you worship? Is he your one and only Lord, the master of your life? In their pain and suffering, they cry out to the Lord, they, yet they did not let go. They did not let go. They didn't break down, tear down, clean out. The idol worship, placing God in the back of the line. Even Gideon. We're no different than Gideon. We're no different than these Israelites that we have seen. Once again, I pray that the Spirit who lives in you understand God's patience, God's love, God's grace and mercy. But I pray that you understand God is a jealous God. He does not share his place in your life. He's not taller. Let's take a moment to pray. Offer up anything that comes to your mind. It's not the time for us to be prideful and arrogant. But if any change to occur for God to utilize you for the very purpose, plan that he has in mind, it's never too late for us to turn to God and rely on his strength and take his word for what it is. God, we thank you for your word. 
What an interesting story. What an interesting figure Gideon is. Where he was and how you used him. What kind of journey he was on. Lord, we did not do anything. We're not worthy to be your child. We're, we're not a man of faith. We're not women of faith. We didn't know you. In fact, we were against you. But God, you came down to our level. In the darkness, you shine the light through your son, Jesus Christ. When we could not lift the finger to do anything about us, you did all things to rescue us, deliver us. You cover us by the blood of Jesus Christ and you say we are righteous. God, will you help us to go back and commemorate, build that altar in awe and amazement and understanding the experience, the real personal experience of meeting you for the first time and help us to go back and back and back again and again with gratitude, with joy, with amazement of your love, your grace and mercy. May we worship you and enjoy the peace that comes and this peace that overcomes all things all our fear and concerns and worries. May we, with courage, destroy, tear down these things that we have built with our own hands, that we turn to, that we trust more than your word, more than your promises. Oh God, help us to turn to you and may the spirit of the Lord help us to identify what it is that we have to turn and destroy tear it down and truly serve our Lord Jesus our one and only master our true love God, we thank you for your love, your patient love. Pray that you will speak to us each and every day. Each and every day, we will be sanctified more and more equipped to do the very mission that you have desired for us. All of us together as a church, all of us together as a family and individually as a son and daughter of our mighty God. God, I pray that you would bless your people. Go with them, go before them. May we understand who you truly are and live for you and you alone. Keep us safe. Bless your people, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.